0: This is the UU Perspective with your host, Sharon Merrill. This is episode 42 of the UU Perspective Podcast where you hear weekly interviews from Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists that are changing the world. Whether you're already a member or a seeker exploring the faith, there is something here for everyone. So as you sit, walk, jog, or drive, enjoy the conversations you're about to hear. So let's talk about polyamory. And as Valerie White, our resident expert today, puts it,
1: Polyamory is the idea that you can love more than one person at a time as long as you're doing it openly, honestly, and with the full consent and participation of all involved.
0: So, Valerie is a part of the UU for polyamory awareness, and she's been involved in that for many years, and she's also director of Sexual Freedom Legal Defense and Education Fund, and she's spoken on polyamory at many national and regional conferences. She's written for many periodicals, including Loving More, The World, and The Humanist, and has served on the boards of the Church of the Larger Fellowship and also for Interweave and UUs for Jewish Awareness. She's been a longtime sexual rights activist, and she was president of the Vermont Civil Liberties Union in the past. She has lived in an open triad for 21 years and is helping to raise 13-year-old twins. All right, so let's get to it, and here is Valerie. Alright, well welcome Valerie and I've already given everyone a little bit of information about you, but could you go ahead and tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your involvement in the UU community?
1: Oh, well, I've been a UU for more than fifty years. I grew up in a family of enlightened atheists with no church affiliation. Both my parents were from mainstream Protestant backgrounds, but both were non-believers by the time I came along. But in the 50s, when I was growing up, it wasn't um, really safe, or it didn't feel safe anyway to tell anybody that you didn't believe in God. And so when the schools asked me questions on forms like, what's your religious preference? I learned to spell non-denominational at a very early age. Um, But... By the time I got ready to go to college, that didn't feel right to me. Um, It didn't seem authentic. It sounded like I was some kind of unaffiliated Christian, which couldn't have been farther from the truth. So I said to my mother one day, what am I going to put in these forms? And she said, well, I've been seeing these ads in the Chicago Papers. Are you a Unitarian without knowing it? And it sounds to me like the Unitarians think about as much like we do as anybody could. Why don't you put Unitarian? Now, this, despite the fact that none of us had ever set foot in a Unitarian congregation. But I did that, and the upshot of that was that when I got to the campus of Indiana University, I got a postcard from the local UU congregations college youth group which was called the Channing Club inviting me to dinner on a Sunday night when the dorms didn't serve dinner. They saved that for the churches and synagogues. So um, you know free food is a great motivator for college students or anybody else for that matter. <laughs> so so I went to this uh, dinner and um, There I found myself for the first time in a room full of people who thought like me and who weren't related to me. And I've been a UU ever since.
0: Wow, what a cool story. That is so neat.
1: So what's more, I wrote home so enthusiastically about this wonderful thing that I had found that my parents went church shopping and landed on the Unitarian Church of Hinsdale, Illinois and started attending. My father attended there till the day he died at almost 90. And my brother, who was five years my junior, went to church school and attended About Your Sexuality, as they were calling it then, and became a, an LRY um, member. And probably the, all that contributed to the fact that he's a polyamory activist to this day in Seattle. So um, that's how I got started. Um, I've been a member of my current church for uh, probably 20 years. Uh, I've been its president. I currently am the chair of the worship committee. So I'm, I've am i been to 21 general assemblies. Whoa. <laughs> oh, I mean, you, you. <laughs> Bread in the bone, you might say.
0: Yep, yeah. You're entrenched in it. That's for sure. Woo. Okay. Well, let's get into the, the meat of it, and can you explain for everyone what polyamory stands for?
1: Polyamory is the idea that you can love more than one person at a time, as long as you're doing it openly, honestly, and with the full consent and participation of all involved. I like to say that polyamory is the idea that you don't have to stop loving one person because you've started loving another one.
0: And why would you get involved in polyamory?
1: Um, Well, that's a good question. Some people who identify as polyamorous think that polyamory is an identity, I mean an orientation, like being gay or something like that. Um, And that may be true. I don't know that we have any real research yet to show whether it's a choice or an orientation. But frankly, I don't really think it matters, um, or it oughtn't to matter. What, what grown-ups do in the bedroom ought to be up to them and not anybody else, uh, whether it's a choice or an orientation. <laughs> anyway, um, it, for me, it's just how I'm made. I don't naturally develop feelings just for one person or hold feelings for just one person at a time. I mean, and that's been true of me all my life, even before we invented the word polyamory.
0: Did your, uh, was it inside your family? I mean, you said your brother's also polyamory. Were your parents? Uh,
1: well, my mother certainly was. Um, whether my father, my father kind of went along and eventually developed a relationship outside the marriage. They didn't call it polyamory then, of course. It was open marriage or something like that, but, um... Uh, certainly, my mother was a firm believer that, loving, that starting to love a second person didn't mean anything negative about your relationship with the first person.
0: Okay. And are people usually, are they living apart or together? What's kind of popular?
1: Well, I, I like to say there are about as many ways to do polyamory as there are people doing it, and maybe more, because you don't always do the same thing. So um, you you sometimes have uh, what we might call or some people would call a polyfidelitous household where a group of people from three to ten or more, I suppose, agree to be uh, committed romantically, emotionally and sexually and not to include anybody from the outside in their um, in their relationship. Uh, So they're they're more like a monogamous marriage, only, you might say, a couple for large values of two. But um, some people are a married couple and make room in their marriage for each of them to have outside partners, don't live with them. Um, Some are like my family, which consists of three residential people, uh, two women and a man, But both the man and I have outside partners um, who are here off and on some days, some weeks more than others. Ours is what you would call an open triad. Judy, the other woman in the household, has had an outside partner, but doesn't at the moment. He unfortunately contracted leukemia and died.
0: Oh, that's a shame.
1: But I, I like to describe his uh, last minute as one of the uh, sort of examples of what kind of warmth and support you get in a polyamorous situation. Because when he died, his wife and two of his partners, including Judy, were sitting and holding his hands in the hospital room all together.
0: Wow. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Ah, okay. Okay. Would many people describe themselves as bisexual or, I mean, do they kind of classify themselves or label themselves?
1: Uh, many do. Um, there's a kind of an ongoing joke. I heard, uh, what was her name? Uh, Deborah Hafner. Uh, she she once commented, for all you couples out there that are looking for a single bisexual woman, there are only two of them and they're very busy. Um <laughs> In fact, however, and that that uh, meme, you might say, has caused bisexual women who are interested in getting into relationships with couples um, to be called unicorns because they're treasured and rare. But to get back to your real original question... Somebody I know did a not terribly scientific survey of a polyamory mailing list a few years ago as part of her senior thesis in college for some course she was taking. And she she found that among people who identified as polyamorous on an email list, more than 60% of them said they were bisexual. Uh, of course, it is not um, mandatory that just because... If you are attracted to both genders, or you prefer all genders, um, that you're necessarily promiscuous or unfaithful. It just means that the people you're not sleeping with aren't all the same gender. So anyway, uh, so a lot of people are uh, that practice polyamory or are, are, are bi, and a lot of them aren't. It varies. Okay. And how do you find each other? Oh, it's someone once joked that the, the modern polyamory movement had to wait for the invention of the Google Calendar. Because we do tend to use something like that quite often in, in making our arrangements. And there's a wonderful song called uh, My Boyfriend's Girlfriend Isn't Me, which I commend to your attention, um, in which she says uh, we all get out our day timers. It's one of the lines in the song. Uh, in all the ways I've ever dated, it's never been so complicated. Oh I've been losing the lyrics, but the last line of that particular segment is, uh, we all get at our day timers. So how we find each other uh, has been facilitated a great deal by the Internet, of course, because there are web pages and mailing lists and dating sites and so on that are designed for poly folks, and that certainly helps. Um, some... Uh, it might be worth saying that the the swinging movement has been around for a long time and it's, um, it's a solid continuing group of people. And to the extent that swingers have a kind of rule barring emotional connection with the people they swing with, they're not practicing polyamory because polyamory isn't, Can I say a bad word on this podcast?
0: I usually bleep it out.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, it's not polyephory, it's polyamory. So uh, uh, anyhow, but there are people who swing, who develop long-term relationships with the couples they swing with. And when that happens, what they're doing is really indistinguishable from what I would call polyamory. So a lot of people have come into polyamory through swinging, well, that's, that's one one route. I've had some interesting uh, exchanges. I was on a secular sobriety email list, and someone sort of made an offhanded comment about how, uh, well, we all know that monogamy is the best way or something like that. And I couldn't let that go by, of course. And so I, I, I emailed back, well, you know, there are people who are doing other things and practicing polyamory and have done so for years and have long-term solid healthy relationships that they find mutually fulfilling. And one of the guys on the list emailed me off list and said, what are you talking about? Can you tell me more about this? And I sent him a list of links to various polyamory websites like loving more and so on. And and a couple of days later he emailed me back and said, I think you saved my life. Oh, wow. I never knew that there were other people who felt this way. And I never knew there was a word for it. And I think you saved my life.
0: Whoa, how wonderful. Oh my gosh, to make a difference like that. Wow. Yes, yes, (laughs) indeed. So inside of the relationships, how is jealousy dealt with?
1: Uh, Well, some people claim at least not to feel jealousy. And in fact, they um, they describe an emotion which they characterize as the opposite of jealousy, which is the word compersion, C-O-M-P-E-R-S-I-O-N, which was coined in the Carissa community in California some years ago. And uh, compersion is that warm feeling you get when someone you care about is having a good time. You might often feel that way about your children when they have a an accomplishment or something, but if your if your partner is having a new relationship and is all sitting over with new relationship energy, and that makes you feel good, that's compersion. However, poly people are just like anybody else, and we can feel insecure, and we sometimes feel threatened, and we sometimes feel um, jealous. And what we we make a point we we try to make a point of making the jealous person feel cherished um, to make them sure they understand that their their relationship is not in, in danger, that their beloved is not about to leave them for someone else. Of course, it does happen if somebody finds somebody they like better and does make a change in their life. But hey, that happens in monogamous marriages all the time. In fact, to, to reflect back to something I said earlier... Um, the evidence suggests you just look at the media that most people aren't monogamous from Tiger Woods to Bill Clinton to, you know, you name it. It's, what poly people do is they do it up front and honestly and openly and without lying to anybody and without sneaking around or cheating.
0: If you've so inside of that, though, then are there like favorites? I mean, is one person going to be more um, thought of as a favorite than the other
1: sometimes that happens um, it's a thorny question and it, it's one that has caused controversy in polyamorous circles they, there's a, a tech a, what you might call a terminology in polyamory of primary and secondary and sometimes even tertiary that you would use to describe your primary partner might be the one you live with, the one you have a checking account with, the one you're raising children with, the one you've been with a long time, the one you own a house with. Um, And a secondary partner might be somebody that you see once a week or once a month or once a year. Um, And while that's kind of obvious and it's helpful to be able to describe relationships in that way, other people feel that that it's demeaning to say that any human being is secondary and that um, that all relationships, all love relationships are equal and require care and compassion and they reject the idea, the terminology of primary and secondary but you know if you have a partner say you have two partners and if your primary partner has a heart attack and goes to the hospital on a night when you had a date with your secondary partner, you'd be at the hospital with your primary partner. Of course, if you were just hanging out at home with your primary partner and your secondary partner got hit by a truck, you'd go to the hospital. So obviously you um, you have to weigh the respective importance of the circumstances and the quality of the relationship and its importance to your life and so forth.
0: Right. And wh- how is it that, that you're nurturing each other then too?
1: Uh, well, if you have a secondary partner who's getting agitated because he or she feels they're not getting enough of your attention or that you're, you're preferring your primary partner over them and that hurts then um, you might need to spend a little extra time with them or um, try to include them in some family events that, um, I mean, you just try to do whatever seems like it's going to work to make somebody
0: feel better. And as far as the children, how do children react to the family dynamic of a polyfamily?
1: Well, the person you should really ask is one of my 13-year-old twins, I guess, but um, my, he's giggling over there in the corner because I just said that. Um, one of them is the yeah, other at school right now. Um, but a lot of children who grew up in poly families will say that it's great to have more interested adults around who are willing to help with homework or, um, you know, go out and watch you do silks or. Um, help go take you Christmas shopping or whatever you know they they feel that it's um, it's a an advantage to have extra well-intentioned um, well-disposed adults around. And now our particular situation, we have we live in a in a suburb of Boston which is very liberal and um, we've been completely open with our children's pediatricians, optometrists, schools, um, about the fact that our kids have three parents. And um, the schools seem to be fine with that. I mean, they just say, oh, another phone number to write down here on this form. Oh, good. Um, And they're accustomed to the idea that there's, you know, grandparents raising children and blended families and engaged step parents and blah, blah, blah. So they're, they're not really all freaked out by that. And so the kids aren't either. Um, sometimes their classmates will look at them a little funny and say, well, how many parents do you have anyway? But so as far as I'm aware, neither of them have caught any flack because of it. I, I have to tell you a funny story, and a good UU story, as a matter of fact, about my son when he was in the first grade. His first grade teacher was doing a unit on rivers, and she asked for a volunteer to come to the classroom with a keyboard and play music about rivers. So I volunteered, and I took my keyboard, and I played Deep River and Moon River, and uh, you know every every river song I could think of. And we had a fine time. But see, I'm I'm 16 years older than my partners, and I'm um, actually genetically the grandparent of our children, which were born by the other woman in the triad and fathered by the man in our triad, but um, they were conceived using donor egg in vitro fertilization with the eggs from my eldest daughter. So it's complicated, but as I say, I'm officially, I'm their co-guardian with Ken and Judy. I'm, I'm, uh, we went to the family court and got me appointed co-guardian. But to the children of, I mean, to other children other than ours, they see me and I look like a grandmother but I don't function like a grandmother so I don't fit into their ideas of what um, what a parent or a grandparent should exactly be and so this one little kid walked up to me that day that I was in Perry's first grade class and said what are you to Perry? and I said, well, Perry's a very lucky little boy. He has two mommies and a daddy, and I'm one of his two mommies. Oh, okay. So the kid was apparently satisfied with that explanation. Whereupon another child in this classroom walked up and said, in I gotcha tone, I have three mommies. She was the child of a lesbian couple who would go to my church and, um, who had broken up and gotten a divorce because we live in Massachusetts and there was same-sex marriage even at that time. And, um, and so her one of her moms had reaffiliated with somebody else, I guess actually remarried now, and so she has a stepmom. And it was funny because when I saw the stepmom at church a couple of days later, I told her about this interchange, and she burst out laughing, and she said, that's really funny. Because what I get at home is, you can't tell me what to do. You're not my mommy. So anyway, the kids, but the kids, and there's a book, by the way, uh, by Elizabeth Sheff, Dr. Elizabeth Sheff, called The Polyamorous Next Door, in which she uh, reports her lengthy peer-reviewed research on how the kids in polyamorous families do, and her conclusion is they do just fine. Also, you might be interested in another book, which uh, is called uh, "Sex at Dawn" by Christopher or somebody and somebody. I've forgotten the author's names right now, but it's about um, human sexuality in pre-agricultural time. It sounds like soft porn, right? Sex at Dawn, but uh, but, it, but it isn't. It's it's really a, a serious study of of uh, sexuality in hunter-gatherer cultures. And he takes the position; they take the position, I should say, that um, that the whole concept of monogamy was something that was that was sort of imposed on human beings by by agriculture, by the idea that when you um, when you have more assets than you can actually carry around with you, as you would after a. Uh, you know, after farming became um, the norm instead of um, walking around carrying all your belongings with you and looking for berries and, and rabbits or whatever, then um, then you needed to know who the who the father of your children was. If you are a father and you you want to make sure that the kids that are going to inherit your wealth are your kids, then you have to impose monogamy on your steps, and that. And that in uh, in hunter-gatherer cultures, that's not true. Also, there's another wonderful book by um, Sarah Blaffer hurdy called *Mothers and Others*, in which she she suggests the idea that uh, human beings are are good at what she calls um, intersubjectivity. That is, the idea of determining what's going on in somebody else's mind, uh, because human babies are raised jointly in in hunter gatherer culture, she studies them in Africa and elsewhere, that unlike most other primates, human babies are raised by the tribe. The littlest the littler kids look after the babies and the older kids look after the littler kids and the grandparents who are still in the tribe help with and and women breastfeed each other's babies and so there's a lot more Cooperation.
0: Tell us about the uh, the purpose of the UU for Poly awareness.
1: Ah, well, um, its purpose is to minister to polyamorous families in Unitarian Universalist congregations and to encourage the acceptance of poly families by UU institutions, um, and we sort of. Walked in the footsteps of Interweave, uh, which did the same thing for GBLT, you use, um, 20 or 30 years ahead of us. Um, but um, that's what we are trying to do. And we've, I like to think we've had a fairly, fairly considerable amount of success.
0: All right. And do you have any other uh, good sources? You mentioned a, a few of the books that I'll put into the show notes, but are there any other sources that people can look into about polyamory?
1: Well, of course, I would suggest the website of Unitarian Universal for Polyamory Awareness, which is UUPA.org. Um, there's also a national organization called Loving More, which, um, which has uh, many, many resources. There's a number of wonderful books. Franklin the V-E-A-U, and a co-writer whose name is escaping me. I must be having a few moments this morning. Uh, it's called More Than Two. Um, a lot of poly folks think that the um, that the book, The Ethical Slut, which is now, in, I think, a second edition, uh, is kind of a Bible for how to do polyamory. Um, there was a book written... Um, quite some time ago by Deborah Annapol, the late Deborah Anipal died just recently. And there's a book by Tristan Peramino called opening up and, uh, cunning minks has a number of books on the subject there. It's if you Google polyamory books, you will turn up a large number of them.
0: All right. Very good. And can you give us a favorite quote of yours that inspires you?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked me that, because I I was just thinking about that this morning. Um, There's a quote of John Barthes from Giles' Goat Boy, which I've always loved. He says, I feel the same way about technique in art as I do about technique in lovemaking. Heartfelt ineptitude has its appeal, and so does heartless skill, but what you want is passionate virtuosity. I try to live with passionate virtuosity.
0: All right. And the last question I have for you that I ask everyone is, how is Unitarian Universalism as a religious denomination uniquely positioned to serve and impact society?
1: Well, at least in the context of polyamory, I believe it's the only uh, denomination which has changed the rules of its organization to require acceptance of polyamorous and kinky people. So um, I think we're unique in that regard. It's certainly true that our principles and purposes are entirely congruent with an ethical non-monogamy, at least in my opinion. So um, that's one of the reasons why I'm still here after more than 50 years.
0: All right. Great. Well, thank you, Valerie, for giving us all this information and enlightening us about polyamory. And thank you so much.
1: You're very welcome. It was great talking to you. All right.
0: Thanks for listening to the UU Perspective podcast and you can catch the show notes and all of the books that Valerie mentioned at UUperspective.com and please feel free to leave a comment about this episode and what your take is on polyamory or are you polyamorous? And take a look. We're going to be offering a way for you to patronize the show in the near future. So, keep your eye out on the website, on the homepage, and also I'll give you more information next week. So have a great week and we'll see you then.